Welcome to Chew the Fat. In this series, I sit down with high-performance guests and we talk about business, life, and what it takes to be at the top. This is all part of my mission to raise a million dollars for charity by writing a cookbook called Eat With Purpose. You can help us along this journey by sharing the content, following along, because ultimately, the bigger the audience, the more impact we can create together. I hope you enjoy. Friska. Yes. Welcome to Chew the Fat. Thanks for having me. So this morning, I have a dish here for you, a yep. vegan Buddha bowl. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, on the bottom, just a nice little basmati rice, keeping it simple, but we've got some teriyaki mushrooms, lightly seared tofu, with a little bit of greens. Have a little bite. I love everything you've put on this plate, especially the mushrooms. Yeah, the mushrooms are a bit of a treat, I'm going to be honest. Mmm, tasty. Good, mm-hmm. good. Mm. Give us a bit of a snapshot about yourself and what it is you do. That's a very good question and hard to explain in a short answer. So I describe myself as a multi-hyphenate because I do a few different things. I get bored very easily. So my bread and butter is consulting mm-hmm. and specifically change management consulting. So I help very large organisations pivot from A to B. It could be uh, implementing a new ERP system. It could be evolving the corporate culture to something that's less command and control. It could be a restructure or they could be acquiring a company. So quite disruptive change. Um, I also speak at a lot of events and conferences. I run masterclasses and workshops, and I also write quite a bit. So I've contributed to the CEO magazine, the AICD, um, and I just published a book two months ago. I'm keen to dive into that book and and get a bit more understanding. I'd love to take a step back for a little moment, if that's okay. What's the context, your, your upbringing, that's brought you to the moment that you are today? The context of my upbringing? Yeah. Um... I would say that I help organisations change for a living. That's Mm. what pays the bills. Mm. But it's because I had to change my own life first Mm. and literally the skills that I've harnessed from that I use for large organisations. So, for example, from a very young age, it was disruptive. So my my parents passed away when I was two weeks old, so I I never knew them. That was a big change. Uh, Moving to Australia in the single digits, again, a very big change and... Back in the 80s, um, there was really no other kids that looked like me, spoke like me, ate the same foods as me, and I had a very weird name as well. So lots and lots of bullying there, which I still remember to this day. But I had to reinvent myself. I had to transform myself. I had to blend in while still not losing the essence of me. And so that's really what good change is about. When we're asking people to adopt something different, Mm. we're not asking them to change their essence, but we're asking them to kind of evolve and have one foot into their current self and one foot in whatever the changes that this organisation is trying to push. And take me to, if you don't mind, the bullying. Mm. Was it severe, light? What, what, what was that like in your life? Um, it was daily. Mm. Um, I was always very bright mm. as a child, so constantly being teased about being the teacher's pet. Um being called whiskies, the pet food, because my name is Friska, <laughs> Friska Frisky's. I don't know. I don't know what goes in um, people's people's minds, children's minds at yeah. that age, um, and a lot of lot of racism. So I went to primary school at Perth. Um, I've been spat on. I've had broken bottles thrown at me every year on Australia Day. That would happen. So it depends what you define as intense. Mm. Um, there were varying shades of intensity, and it would spike on. Australia Day, New Year's Mm. Day, that sort of stuff. 
that definitely hits my definition of intense. Yeah. That, that sounds really hard. Like how, how did that make you feel? Um, like I didn't belong. Yeah, like I was doing something wrong. Mm. Like I was wrong, actually. Yeah. And, you know, I talk about this as my childhood, but as recently as two years ago, you know, in the peak of COVID, there was a lot of racial tension and I bore the brunt of that. I remember I was going for a walk. It was 7.30 in the morning, uh, Fitzroy Gardens in Melbourne. Um, if people don't know where that is, it's in East Melbourne. So I was staying at the Hyatt at the time and I was walking along and a lady literally like jumped away from me and said, go back where you came from, you dirty, see you next Tuesday. So, you know, that was just two years ago. And I'm not alone in, in saying this. A lot of my friends face the same um, abuse. Many of them still to this day are too scared to take public transport. <clears throat> my heart breaks when I hear that, I'll be really honest. So, mm. you know, I think about in my little sweet little head is like, oh, we've all come so far. But to hear that still to this day, um, yeah, it breaks my heart. Mm. And I, I apologise from, from from, on society's behalf for that. Do you, how does that interact with your day-to-day, -day, with work? You know, not necessarily people doing that, but like the feeling that you have. You know, does it, is, it, is that an additional driver? You know, what, is, what does that do for you in, in your day-to-day? -day? It just makes me become more aware of what other people may be going through behind closed doors mm. and to make sure that the environment that I create within my team, within my client organisation is really accepting and inclusive of that and to just be patient mm. with people. So like right now, one of my um, clients is a quite a big Spanish conglomerate mm. and the project I'm on literally has people dialing in from all over the world. Um, you've got Spain, Argentina, Malaysia, Singapore, me here in, in Australia. So even though we're all different, I try to emphasise the similarities instead. I love that. It's a, I love that you're able to take that positively into your, into your workplace. And bring me into that now with regards to the change management. So I can understand how that childhood um, and the different changes and the different adversities has helped you be able to na navigate in a, in a seamless way. For people that don't go through that and people that are a bit more rigid in their thinking and, and, and are not forthcoming with change, mm. how do you help mould them? So we, I, I love, really love this quote by Alvin Toffler and he says, the illiterate of the future will not be those that cannot read or write but those that cannot learn, relearn and unlearn. And this is so true to this day. I mean, back when calculators uh, came into being, everybody was like, oh, my God, don't use them. Accountants are going to be out of a job. Guess what? We all still have accountants. And, you know, no progress didn't come with any change. And so you can't have one without the other. And I think as adults, we're all weighed down by behaviours that no longer serve us. And it's because we're not intentional with this unlearning mm -hmm. of things that, that aren't productive anymore. So we just have to realise what got us to where we are today may not be the same set of behaviours, values, metrics that will get us to where we want to be tomorrow. And, you know, we could be missing out on a lot of opportunities for growth. We could be missing out on meeting really amazing people. So I'll give you a lighthearted example, see how this plays out. And you can imagine how many people have this same thinking in organisations. So I was walking along George Street in Sydney and I was with my best friend. We'd had a day out shopping. We were hungry. We said, let's go for lunch. And out of the corner of my eye, I spotted uh, Frank's falafels. 
And I said, hey, I've seen that written up in broadsheet. Let's give it a go. Straight away, she's like, no. I said, why not? Like, it got really great reviews. And she's, no, no, no. I tried a falafel eight years ago, got me a stomach ache, never doing it again. So that one negative experience turned her into a lean, mean falafel avoiding machine. <laughs> but you can imagine this happens in organisations all the time. We have a bad experience with a merger or an acquisition. We're not signing up for that again. Mm. So this is just part of human nature. We will remember the bad stuff more than the good stuff. And I love the use of the word you said unlearn. Mm. How do you do that in a practical sense? You first need to identify what needs to be unlearned um, and you make it really hard to do that particular behaviour. For mm. example, you want to unlearn your tendency to scoff a packet of um, Tim Tams every night before bed. To make it really hard for you, you stop buying the Tim Tams. Mm. You know, you hide your car keys. You uninstall Uber Eats so you can't order it. So those are the little steps that you can take to unlearn this bad behaviour. And what about from a contextual business sense? What might be something that you would want to unlearn as a, you know, a small, young, early business entrepreneur? Uh, and how might you go about that? Um, I think when usually when an entrepreneur is quite successful in their small business, they think that they need to keep on acting the same way because it's worked for them. But to get to that next stage of growth, it often requires a different skill set and sometimes a different person. So it's about not being so proud to realise that, A, maybe you don't have the skills and should get them, or B, maybe you're not the right person to take it to the next level. So I would say you need a great deal of self-awareness and introspection. And how do you practise that in your life? the self-awareness piece. I think it's an incredibly valuable tool as a human. Mm. But specifically in business, I think it's an incredibly powerful tool to have that self-awareness and continually reflect. What does that look like in Frisker's life? Uh, I, I ask people because what's in my head doesn't mean that's what's being perceived externally. So when I started getting more serious about my personal brand on LinkedIn, I thought, right, I you know the only step thing standing in the way between me and what I want is obscurity. Mm. And so I thought, what's my brand? I was like, I really have no idea. I have an inkling, but I'm really not sure. And um, I created a survey, sent it to about 100 people in my network, and the questions were like, how would you describe me in three words? Uh, what do you think I do head and shoulders above everyone else? Mm. What are the things that you think I should work on to help me be a more well-rounded individual and performer? And so I asked people, and the answers that came back were quite interesting, the things that I would have never come to of my own volition, yeah. And what were those answers? Um, the words brutally efficient came up and again and again. <laughs> That's a good answer, I like yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, one thing that was interesting was um, you have a lot of energy and intensity, which is great, but just know that it can be intimidating. Mm. So know when you need to put on the velvet glove and know when you can take it off. Mm. Wow. Mm. I love that you sent out a survey <laughs> on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm like and, anal like that. <laughs> and I can immediately tie together brutally efficient and that. <laughs> I'll be thinking about using that one. Thank you. So you're taking on that feedback. Yeah. Like what have you done in your life to try and you know, mould into that? Oh, so if it's like a, if, I, if I'm meeting the CEO of an organisation mm. that I know is conservative... I will literally put a reminder in my diary, literally, like five minutes to go. Mm -hmm. It's like, cool it. 
call it. Because you, you need that prompt. Yeah. Otherwise, you forget. Like when you think about like coming today, right? Mm. Outlook pops up and says, hey, you better start driving to Frank's house. Mm. It's mm. the same when you're trying to change your own behavior. Those little nudges, little mm. prompts, like you, you see these happen all the time um, in our world. Like, for example, I was at, I can't remember which building I was at, but it said, take take the stairs. It's better for you. It's like, oh, take the stairs. You know, like little little mm. prompts and visuals like that help. Because when you're when you're so engrossed in the doing, and I'm I'm very much a doer, I kind of like do this, do this, do this, do this, do that. I need that little kind of um, interjection mm. to help me like reset and think. Okay, hold on. What am I trying to achieve here? What what does this person respond to? I remind myself on his background, and then I just less intense. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you had didn't come in t- intensely today. So was there a reminder? <laughs> <was there a, laughs> Was there a reminder? I think you are equally intense. That's why we vibe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so take me to these businesses. So I, I am deeply curious about this because, mm. you know, something that we share um, is around the, the context of that upbringing, not the, you know, the, not the story, but the context of the upbringing around change being a consistent thing in my life. Yep. You know, my parents moved 23 times when uh, they lived in South Africa, uh, South Africa, then to New Zealand, then to Australia. Change was my life as a, as a child. Yep. And so I became very, very used to it. Yeah. Um, but that's a great thing in business. Yes. So my question to you is, what are the most, like, the biggest hesitations for change in the organisations that you're working with? Um, fear. Fear. Number one emotion is fear. Um, so people fear change because they fear the unknown mm. and they're scared some of these things will go away. And I call them the six Ps. Like it, pay, is it going to hit me in my back pocket? Performance, is it going to make it harder for me to achieve that level because of this merger or because of this tool that we're now using? Prestige. So you know, the number of raging arguments people have had because they're losing their car parking privileges because it hits them in the self-esteem bucket mm. is insane. Protection. Mm. So for am I, am I moving teams? My boss really likes me. What if my new boss doesn't feel the same way? I'll have to start all over again. So And, and lastly, position. Am I going to lose my job? Mm. Am I going to be automated? So it's, it's fear. People think they're going to be losing one or more of these things. But when it comes to the decision makers of change, they, I mean, no one wants to look stupid, right? Mm. Uh, if you're changing anything, anything related to innovation and growth, there is a certain degree of failure. And it's because we haven't learned to normalise failure. Mm. Um, I was reading an article about, I think it was a Swedish company. Um, they call it F Up Fridays, where they literally get F ups, failures from yeah. around the company and they celebrate them. They celebrate them because they happen and they celebrate them because they learn from them. That doesn't happen in this country. Not enough. Mm. And we wonder why there's an innovation brain drain here. Now I'm really curious. What would be your F up Friday? What's the big, what's the big uh, failure that we should be celebrating today that you've had in your career? <laughs> um, let's see. Let's see. Oh, okay. Um, way back when... Uh, I was at a boutique consulting firm, finished this big project for an oil and gas company and I was lit- literally working seven days a week from 5am to maybe 2am, was let go the day after. Yeah. 
said that my written report wasn't good enough. It's like, what the hell? Like, I've just, you know, busted my mm, butt for mm. you seven days a week. And at the time, it really hit me because I've never been let go before. Mm. Um, I've always been a star before, like academically, all throughout, always had straight A's. So it really shook me to my core. But I look back on it now and I just thought, you know what, you were just an a-hole, like looking, <laughs> looking to meet budget. You know, yeah. it had nothing to do with me. And if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have... Um, taken change management as a career seriously, I would have just stayed in my little box. Mm. So it pushed me over the edge and forced me to fly. And were there learnings from that? Uh, yes. The main learning from that, because I was still very green, mm. is never be silent. Mm. Like even if – because no communication is worth, worse than communicating, hey, we're not going to meet this deadline because of ABC – because if you don't take the front foot and say something, people will make up stories in their head. It's usually worse than what the reality is. That's a good learning. Mm. That's a really good learning. Mm. And one mm. of the things I, I think about for the audience mm. that is listening today is, you know, one of the big steps of change is there's lots of people that are listening that are in a job and they have a burning desire to start a business. Mm. How would you go about talking to that audience through making that leap? Well, I was there three years ago. I had just finished up a contract for at a big gold mining company. Um, it looked glamorous, flying all around the world, you know, speaking at conferences, etc. It wasn't. I was very spiritually bankrupt, mm. even though I was the most financially wealthy I'd, I'd ever been in my career at that point. And I just felt a, a little tingle, like this little voice. And I thought, if I don't do this now... I'm going to look back when I'm 70 and always wonder what if. And I think if you're not sure, like a lot of people are scared, right? They're scared of giving up their full-time stable job. Mm -hmm. FYI, nothing stable in the world <laughs> today, guys. So just do it. Um, so if you're that worried about that, take a, take a part-time contract instead while you build your other revenue streams. So I didn't know what I was doing. It came, it was very much an evolution. Mm. I just knew that I wanted to try something different and it was so basic. And, and what pushed me was because I was speaking at a conference in two weeks' time. It's like I can't just rock up, you know, being Frisca at no-name company. Mm. <laughs> so it was as basic as go on um, the Australian business uh, site, register a business name, get an ABN, go on Squarespace, buy a $20 template, whack your photo on it. Hey, presto, I have a website. <laughs> and it's just evolved since then. And I think if you've never done something, it's always going to be scary. So either find a support group, so mm. people that have done it before, what you're trying to achieve, or get a business coach or a mentor. Mm. Yeah. And what I take away from that, it's, it's like step by step. Step by step. Step by step. Don't, yeah. don't stress. Don't worry too much. Don't worry. It's, <laughs> it's one thing after the other and momentum will build and, hey, Worst case scenario, you can go back to your job. Exactly. And you're only racing against yourself. Mm. Like not, there's, no, there's no one with a stopwatch there. Like mm. just, and that's why like all these lists that say, you know, AFR, fastest growing 100, blah, blah, blah. Well, 10 years later, most of them are not existent. Mm. So it's not about who's the fastest. It's, mm. it's about who's going to last the longest. And following that down around last the longest, what is it that you would love to, you know, what's the mark that you want to make on this world? What's Fresca's purpose? So we're going to be going through lots of changes in our lifetimes. 
and most of the experiences connotated with that are negative. So I want to change that. I want people to be more embracing mm. of change because it's good for not just your mental health, mm. but your emotional and your financial health as well. Love it. Mm. On scale? <laughs> On scale. <laughs> World domination. <laughs> That's so good. You heard it here first. <laughs> and, and I can see through the journey that you're on across the different social ch channels, personal brand is important to you. Mm. Why? Because your reputation is everything. Um, it speaks for you more than your best keynote, more than any elegantly engineered strategy. And I love the fact that when I meet someone for the first time, they already know what I'm about. There's no, there's no selling, there's no awkward dance of getting to know you because, I mean, lots of people said this, like what you see about me online versus how you see me in real life is exactly the same. And so that resonates with a lot of people. And I've met people literally all around the world. Um, you know, during, during lockdown when we were here, stuck for two years, I was networking around the world, like joining in Zooms, asking for referrals extra. And I've been meeting with them all around the world. And I wouldn't have gotten this big Spanish client if it wasn't because of my personal brand. That's what I was going to ask. Like, what are the opportunities? So for any of those, you know, guests that are listening in today and they're, you know, they're nervous, I don't want to be famous, I don't want to do this, whatever it might be. What are the opportunities that have come through, yeah. you know, through this journey of creating personal brand? It's not about being famous, it's about being distinguished. Mm. How are you going to distinguish yourself from the hordes of others who do pretty much exactly what you do? You may think it's different, but someone out there does exactly what you do. So it's how, how are you going to differentiate yourself? Um, the opportunities that have come, I spoke at UN Women Australia two weeks ago. Amazing. Um, as you know, I, I launched my book two months ago. That's a triple bestseller in three categories. I did a TEDx last year. First thing people do, Google you, mm. right? Mm. What's your website? What's your LinkedIn? Um, they want to know what you're about. Um, and last week I signed a deal with Penguin Random House for my second book. So they're the largest publisher in the world. Well done. Thank you. That's awesome. So let's go, let's go down that pathway around your book. Mm -hmm. So I'm absolutely sure it's about everything we talked about with change management, but is there anything um, different about the book that we haven't yet touched on today so far? Uh, there's been like lots of headlines about AI mm -hmm. in the world um, and people were very happy to invest in the tech stack, right? Have I got the best of this? Does this sync with that? How does it all kind of hang together? <laughs> but the performance of your tech stack is going to be limited by the power of your people stack, mm. right? If I gave my grandma the latest generation iPhone, she'd use it as a doorstopper, right? <laughs> it's same in organisations. There's no point having the best kit if you're not supporting, training, helping your people transition to be able to leverage these best-in-breed tools. But a lot of people forget that. Mm. So I've had conversations with a lot of big-name organisations, um, lots of banks, um, engineering, oil and gas, and literally every single one of them have had their budgets cut for training. Mm. So it's not, I mean, your company isn't run by bots. If your people aren't as powerful as your tech stack, mm. then you're going to be limited by the performance you're going to be able to achieve. And how do we solve that? Start investing in people. Mm -hmm. Start investing in helping them learn, relearn and unlearn. All right? It doesn't come overnight like when you when you when we think of how we first learned to ride a bike like we didn't go downhill on two wheels like we had our training wheels on right we were given a push we practiced we practiced same with any other skill in an organization give people the training wheels don't ex don't just kind of hurl them off the deep end 
and expect them to fly. And what have you had the feedback so far with regards to the book? Like, what's the feedback been, um, you know, from people who've read it, from, from different people in your network? How, how have they responded to it? I couldn't have been happier. Couldn't be happier. So it's sold in Sydney in Tidal bookstores. Mm. It's in Singapore in Kinokuniya. So they're the largest bookstore in the country. It's going to be stocked in Perry Plus in Jakarta. So they are also the largest book distributor in that country. Um, yeah, it's been it's been crazy. And you know, all I did to promote my book was be more active on LinkedIn. Mm. And so funny you mentioned that because I was on my account yesterday to look at my publishing sales. The highest number of sales in a non-English speaking country is Germany. That's bizarre because I don't know anyone in Germany. Yeah. It's like, who are all these people buying my books? So that's, I mean, that's the power when you start investing in your personal brand. Like people have just come out of the Wargutberg, people that I've never met before that have messaged me and said, I've bought five copies for my team. I've bought three copies. I've bought this, I've bought that. I've never spoken to them before. So the, the avalanche of support has just been overwhelming. Amazing. And it's all, it all feeds back into that, you know, the, the personal brand and, and that the whole ecosystem. So that's really cool. Well done. Thank you. That's awesome. One of the things I, I pulled before I came onto this conversation today is I got incredible feedback from Susan Wielden, the Airbnb CEO of Australia. And it was resounding from a lot of, you know, one, amazing females in my life, but as well just people I'd never met mm. and amazing girls all around who were truly inspired. Um, and it's something that I'm passionate now to bring on people on this podcast, people like yourself who are amazing people in business full stop, but then also amazing women in business. Mm -hmm. And one of the stats I pulled today was in 2019 across the world, only 31 to 35% of all businesses are run by female entrepreneurs. Mm. And I'd love to know, like, what are your thoughts on how do you think we can push that? And how do you think we can get more people to have that courage that you took that leap of faith to start business? Because I know, I know a lot in my life that have amazing ideas. And it's like, I would love to be able to create that spark and, and, and get more out there to give it a crack. Ideas are useless if they're not executed. So some people are great at ideas, but they're really shit at execution. So again, sometimes just because you have the idea doesn't mean you're the person to bring it forward. So it could be matchmaking them, mm. matchmaking them with someone that's brutally efficient. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing. Um, number two, I think the first step to creating this sort of tidal wave of societal change mm. is awareness. Mm. So the more people that are aware of these are the stats, the better. Um, and then another thing is that, you know, in my time in corporate, I found the women that do succeed to the very top, they've got two things in common. Um, they've got a really supportive mentor or coach mm. and they're sponsored. So they're sponsored by a male champion of change. So mm. those two things will help them get to the very top. But rarely do they happen. Like we just talked about all the training and coaching budgets being mm. cut for mm. these big banks. So how are women supposed to ever get there if we're not given the resources to do so? Love it. So let's, that's, that's part of our mission. We'll, we'll push it. Because the reason I'm passionate about it is because I surround myself with amazing women in my life. Mm. Um, and I just I, I love the idea of more of us, regardless, to just go out there and execute. And it's a lot of fun. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if you share this, but I think you do. Like business is a lot of fun. You yes. know? And if you have that burning, it's really about having that burning desire to want to do it. The thing that breaks my heart is the potential of having that burning desire and then not wanting to do it or not 
backing yourself. Mm. You know, because owning a business isn't for everybody because mm. it's brutal. Yes, it is. It can be. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely brutal. Yeah. And the last question I want to ask you is, as you reflect on your life, what are you most proud of? Uh, shaping a life that's my on my own terms. Like I have complete autonomy over where, when, how much and with who I worked mm. and that just came from a lot of grit mm. for the past three years. Yeah, didn't get there overnight but finally got there. And why does that make you most proud? Uh, I've just always had a deep drive to be self-sufficient and independent. Mm. Always, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Priska? Yes. Thank you so much. I thank really appreciate you. it.